Welcome to Straight Fire Moms Podcast. I'm Elvina. And I'm Cheryl. And we are simply reaching out to single moms as a supportive means to your parenting process. So today we have a guest back with us uh, that was here with us last Tuesday. And it was a world of information about domestic violence in the home for various reasons. So Cheryl, can you introduce our guest today? Sure. So we have Joel Asensio and he is a clinical mental health counselor. And would you, Joel, tell us actually what a clinical mental health counselor is? Yes, um, people I specialize in mental health. And essentially I work with children, parents, children, adults, and various stages of life, various stages of development. Um, I help them to grow in self-esteem and I help them with diagnosis. Um, and so I diagnose as well as treat um, clients. And so, yeah, okay. that's what I do. Great. So does treat mean medication might be involved? Uh, so my field, so uh, psychiatrists assign medication, um, whereas I treat them utilizing a Ruggierian technique. So uh, talk therapy essentially is my focus. Um, so I treat them by relating with them and by, you know, gaining friendship and talking with them because we find that it's more effective to have somebody to sit with you at the bottom of the well than it is to have somebody trying to pull you out of it. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. What I love about what you do is because, first of all, people, someone's got to identify what the problem really is, right? We, right. Yes. So then yes. once we know what the problem is, then we can have the resources and reach out to where because everybody's is different. So I love that because I got to know what's wrong. That's half the battle to me, you know, right. because we as parents, we yeah. don't know. We struggle. We, we're trying to figure out our kids. What's going on? You know, how is this really affecting them? Yeah. We can be so involved in our own issues and what we're dealing with at the time that we are lost with what our children are dealing and going through. Absolutely. What you do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's not to say that I'm against medication or, or psychiatry at, at all. Um, that's just not the field that I'm that I work in. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I, I know last time we spoke about domestic violence, and um, I spoke about some of the effects that it has on children. Uh, one of the things that I did I didn't touch on, but that I should have, um, is developmental milestones. Hmm. So those things are affected. That the way children develop is affected by domestic violence as well. Um, we see that younger children are more prone to um, backtrack and developmental milestones. They lose bowel control. They lose control over their ability to use the, the, the bathroom. They, you know, they lose gain skills that they recently learned. Um, toddlers and preschoolers are more prone to throwing temper tantrums. Um, they do them more frequently. And then we have school-age children who... Um, and adolescents who like struggle with concentrating, they become more moodier, um, they struggle with school attendance, like it, domestic violence has such an effect on children that it also affects the way that they develop, not just how they exist, but also as they grow. And so I, I meant to mention this last time and I just wanted to touch on that. No, that's good, that's good. Parents wonder all the time, you know, why is my child regressing? Uh, why is my child struggling now? They, they knew how to go to the bathroom. Why are they now, you know, struggling with wetting the bed? Or why are they struggling in school now? They knew these things. I don't understand why they're regressing. 
um, and exposure to domestic violence 100% contributes to that. That is so good. Yeah. I was going to ask you that for, after you started talking about it, I was going to ask you that very question about wetting the bed. You know what I mean? How a child just all of a sudden out of anywhere just starts waiting a bit. So let me ask you this. I know this is a little off the subject of what we're talking about by domestic violence, but is does sexual abuse, um, do you see the same things when there's sexual abuse? They have some of these same behaviors, the backtracking and things like that too? Absolutely. I thought so. Thank you. Yes. The trauma, the trauma causes children to backtrack and then also be stuck. Um, and that's what trauma does. Trauma traps you. Um, it traps you where you're at and it doesn't allow you to escape. Um, and so, you know, early intervention such as therapy, um, such as getting psychiatric help, such as, you know, um, res various resources in the community are very important when it comes to helping children uh, move through their trauma. Community resources, um, having a community around you that loves and cares about you and wants you to grow and heal from your trauma is one of the most fruitful um, things when it comes to interventions, when it comes to helping children um, grow past the abuse and trauma that they experience, and that includes sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, that um, yeah. that trauma, like for example, the trauma, say, say for teenagers sitting there, now young girls that's in high school and stuff are being abused by their boyfriends and stuff like that as teenagers. So is that the stuff that was locked up inside, or is that you usually find that's something that has been um, exposed all along or, or, or was it captured inside to they got into a relationship of, of a similar kind how does that work so it can be various different things that contribute to when it comes to teenagers experiencing that um, some teenagers they they already have low self-esteem a lot of a lot of teenagers in their developmental process when they reach that age are going through an identity crisis and what's interesting is and realize that they go through that even in young adulthood. So about 24, 25, you know, sometimes you'll be able to figure out who you are or what you want to do in life. Other times it takes longer. Um, but that all goes back to childhood and what you're taught and how you're treated. Uh, Self-esteem impacts your ability to perceive yourself properly. And if you have a teenager who already is struggling with self-esteem, who then gets into a relationship where somebody is utilizing power and control techniques, um, tactics, they're not going to notice. And so there's there's different phrasing, like uh, love bombing or gaslighting. Um, and it's become very, those phrases have become very popular in pop culture and, and people are, are becoming more aware of what they are. But as a teenager, you're probably not exposed to those things. And so when somebody says, you know, I love you, you're the, you're my world, I'll die for you. Teenagers are very passionate, very poetic, a little dramatic. <laughs> but they're, they're like, I'll die for you, I love you, the love of my life. And then they also hit you. And then they're like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm just, I, I, I lost control. You know, you just made me so angry, I'm sorry. And you're willing to forgive them, you then begin the cycle. And then it just, and then it'll continue. Um, because you think in your head, well, he didn't mean to. You yeah. start to rationalize. Um, you know, he was just so angry. I made him angry. And when you have low self-esteem, it's a lot harder to combat that line of thinking. You're going to take the blame because you're used to taking the blame. You're used to feeling guilt. You're used to experiencing somebody blaming you for their actions or how they feel. Um, and at the end of the day, what you learn, what I've learned and continue to learn is that 
situations may cause somebody to feel a certain way, it is not my responsibility to control the way that they feel. And so they still have responsibility for their actions. And so I can be triggered by something. Like, let's say my wife is, uh, she says something or she yells down the stairs and I feel triggered because I'm used to yelling at my house. I can feel upset by that. And I have the responsibility to then say, okay, this is a me problem. This is obviously me being triggered by something. I am not going to respond how I'm used to responding when I feel triggered. I have a choice. A lot of teenagers don't have that self-control. Right. They don't have the wherewithal to, to know, oh, I'm just mimicking what I've seen. Oh, I'm just doing what I've been taught. Uh, it's funny, I joke with a lot of my friends, because uh, I have a couple of friends who are younger, um, but your frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until you're about 24, 25. And so your your frontal lobe is responsible for a lot of your decision making, your, your reasoning, your ability to perceive the world and then reason through that lens. Um, and so it's not fully developed. It's not capable of, of reasoning fully until you're a bit older. Um, and what happens when you experience domestic violence or sexual abuse or any sort of abuse is it affects the way that your brain develops, like like on a physiological level, um, a neurological level. Your, your brain isn't developing because it ought to. And so your decision making is, is it's all over the place because you can't quite pinpoint how you're supposed to respond to things. You know, it's like, how do I respond to this? And I don't know, probably the way that I've seen and then also the way that I've seen taking control of what I can. Um, right. Yeah, it's a long answer to say yes. Yeah. But that was awesome. So, so um, let's say, so I have a, a situation in my family. So there's a kindergarten, first grade type age uh, boy who has um, been sent to his older sister to live because uh, the mom, I guess there was some drug abuse and, um, the mom one day, uh, a year ago or so dropped him off with his dad and just disappeared for months. Okay. So the dad situation is that I work overnight, so I don't have a way to take care of you if I work at night. And, um, because also I sleep during the day. So um, a friend stepped in and said, hey, I can help out. So um, they basically took on the caregiving and, and all of that. So now um, I get to, well, a year later, the mom is in and out and also sees, so the little boy sees domestic violence and the violence is the mom on the dad. And he cries about it. He wants to know what's going on. Why is this happening? And so he has that, you know, the mom who left him and the dad who can't take care of him. And then he sees the domestic violence. And so now it's like, listen, um, you, you know, I'm going to get your sister, which I know is going to take care of you. She's going to come and get you. So she does. So what we hear from this little one is, oh, um, um, I like it here. Um, I want to stay here. This is better for me. These are words out of this little boy's mouth. I wish I had been here all along. 
Um, so you wonder, you know, because it's taken him a while to actually start talking about his family. Like, like mom, you know, you know, how do you, how can a six year old actually just leave, um, and fly? Um, we're talking thousand miles away and not have that sense of crying for mom or dad, or do they, do they miss that? Great question. Um, yeah, uh, it depends on the child, actually. I have a couple of kiddos who I see who have been removed from their parents because of that stuff, and they do cry, and they do miss them, and they feel responsible, which is a whole other can of worms. They feel like it's their fault. If they weren't, you know, if they were just a little bit better, if they would have behaved a little bit better, daddy wouldn't have hit mommy. Or it's just a little bit faster maybe maybe so this wouldn't have happened they take on that guilt and children love their parents that is one thing that is consistent i worked for dcf for eight years if, if there's one thing that is consistent they love their parents and they don't blame them they have a way of rationalizing the situation to where they can they can either blame themselves or they can dismiss it and just ignore it because they just want the love of their parents there are some children, however, who are like, no, like I, I, you know, I, I'm done with this parent. I don't want to be with this parent. I don't want anything to do with this parent. I want what I want, which is a loving home, somebody who cares about me. You know, it, it just depends on how the children experience the trauma and how they rationalize it. Um, but yeah, everyone experiences trauma differently. And so that's one of the interesting things is that although Although children experience differently, they do have very um, consistent setbacks. So like the developmental milestone suffering, um, that is a common thing that happens, despite the fact that they experience it differently. Um, you have four children. For me personally, there's, I have three siblings. All four of us experience the trauma differently of experiencing domestic violence. Each of us have taken it on differently. Um, and some of us, like one of my siblings is continued the cycle of being in those kinds of relationships. One of my other siblings has turned to drugs to sustain themselves. One of their siblings is like, I'm just going to work and try to ignore everything that I feel. Um, whereas I went and got therapy yeah. <laughs> and I always suggested yeah. to them, yeah. but you know, it just depends on the child. And, yeah. and also I think, birth order and age plays a factor so the older children tend to take on the responsibility of being the parent in the household the youngest child tends to take on the responsibility of just like trying to make everyone happy and please everyone um and then you have the in between the children who feel overlooked or the target child the child who feels the wrath of both parents um it just depends on how the ch children develop and how they experience the trauma but yes both happen where children do not care about their parents they don't want to be with their parents and then you have children who cry every night because they miss their parents regardless of how much the parents hurt them mm. and it's you know it's really sad wow can i ask the question um so with you and as you said being the oldest one the responsible one you you shared with us and thank you for the transparency again um your siblings and where they are now so how does that make you feel now because I know that, you know, I mean, because you've gotten your counseling and you're doing the things and doing the things that you need to do to get cope with and get and get past those things and you see them and where it's taken them. How do you look at that now? To be honest, transparent, deal with it quite terribly. Um, I think it's it's taken several years 
still playing with it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's really hard. You feel, I still feel responsible for them. And, and it is to my own detriment. Like I will sacrifice um, everything I have to help them. And so being a parent myself, you know, I have a two-year-old now and I'm married, I'm happily married and my wife is wonderful. She's a saint. Dealing with that responsibility and then also feeling responsible for my siblings, they, that clash because I can't be rescuing my siblings at 3 a.m. in the morning oh, when no. my daughter has to be up in the next four or five hours and I have to take care of her. And so I have to make a choice between my daughter or my siblings. And that's why I started counseling. Because I was like, I'm really struggling with this. Yeah. And it's been extremely helpful in, in freeing me from the guilt there. And so knowing, like, my siblings are adults. They're all responsible for themselves. Right. And understanding they make the choices that they make. I can't make them for them. But I can still be there to give them resources. I can still be there to be a shoulder that they can cry on. At the same time, they can't be everything for them. Exactly. And so they have to they have to work through it on their own. Right. Um, and learning to, to deal with that guilt, the guilt that comes with that. It's probably, I would say it's similar probably to how parents feel when uh, when they get, you know, out of domestic violence relationships or they get clean and then they're taking care of their children, they deal with guilt too. And they have to wrestle with the fact that like, I caused harm to my child and I didn't want to. And now I have to like try to, you know, be a good parent and try my best to be a good parent. And I'll say this to anybody who is experienced or in that situation, like the fact that you've worked so hard to get clean or you've worked so hard to get out of that relationship, um, it shows that you really are a good parent. You really do love your children and you're trying. And that's that's what matters. And your child will thank you in the long run for being the protective parent, for being the one that loved them. Um, love them enough to get clean or love them enough to, you know, feel lonely at times. Mm -hmm. And so awesome. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. So wow. So um we appreciate you so much. This has been so helpful. We we're pretty sure that it's helped somebody, you know, and we're also hoping that people will reach out. Absolutely. You know, there's a need, there's such a need. And people need to, to need, you know, to reach out dealing with all this stuff and trying to carry all this weight themselves. Let somebody help wow. reason it out, right? So we just thank you so much for us to be uh on the podcast with us today. Cheryl, you yeah, so tell us the, um, where they can go to get help. Um, you know, I know there's many resources out there, but um, you have a, a, a resource that they can reach out to. So tell us about it. Absolutely. Um, so there are plenty of resources. You Google domestic violence or therapy and you can find they have apps called BetterHelp, which you can get therapy through that. Uh, but I work for Phoenix Counseling Services. We provide therapy across the state of Florida. We work with anxiety, PTSD, domestic violence, trauma, from divorce, depression, anxiety, grief, and you can go to phoenixcounselingservice.com, and there you can submit a referral for counseling, and you'll get assigned a counselor who will either come out to meet you or meet you where you'd like and work with you. And so... Yeah. So once again, that's phoenixcounselingservice.com. But yeah, thank you guys. All right. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And we look forward to our next episode and um, have more questions for you. Have a good right. day. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Thank you.